Emily Abend, the creative partner for worship at the local church, and you are listening to the Sunday Sermon Podcast featuring the messages from our Sunday liturgy. The local church is a bold and inclusive faith community based in Chatham County, North Carolina. We gather for worship every Sunday morning at 10 a.m. in person at Woods Charter School in Chapel Hill, North Carolina, and online via Facebook Live and YouTube. No matter where you find yourself physically, spiritually, or emotionally, you belong at the local church. And we're so glad you're here. Our scripture reading this morning is from the Gospel according to Luke in the New Testament, chapter 16, verses 1 through 13. Then Jesus said to his disciples, There was a rich man who had a manager, and charges were brought to him that this man was squandering his property. So he summoned him and said to him, What is this that I hear about you? Give me accounting of your management, because you cannot be my manager any longer. Then the manager said to himself, what will I do now that my master is taking the position away from me? I am not strong enough to dig and I am ashamed to beg. I have decided what to do so that when I am dismissed as manager, people will welcome me into their homes. So summoning his master's debtors one by one, he asked the first, how much do you owe my master? He answered, a hundred jugs of olive oil. He said to him, take your bill, sit down quickly, and make it 50. Then he asked another, how much do you owe? He replied, a hundred containers of wheat. He said to him, take your bill and make it 80. And his master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. For the children of this age are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than are the children of light. And I tell you, make friends for yourselves by mean of dishonest wealth, so that when is gone, they may welcome you into eternal homes. Whoever is faithful in very little is also in much, and whoever is dishonest in very little is dishonest also in much. If then you have not been faithful with the dishonest wealth, who will entrust you the true riches? And if you have not been faithful with what belongs to another, who will give you what is your own? No slave can serve two masters, for a slave will either hate one and love the other, or be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. This is the word of God for all God's creation. Thanks be to God. started back up, right? Yeah, and um, with it comes homework, reading, all the things. Uh, I was talking to Haley this week, uh, one of her classes. Hope it's okay to share this, Haley. Oh, okay, good. Thumbs up. Good, we can keep going. Um, who said in one of her classes at Duke, uh, uh, the amount of reading just feels ridiculous, which is true. I've been there. So uh, Haley was telling me about how uh, in this class, there's, uh, there's a lot of reading, and everyone uh, in the class is assigned a number. Haley, what's your number? Do you know? Five, number five, um, and, uh, and the professor has a bunch of popsicle sticks, 
and each one has a number on it. And uh, when the professor has a question for the class or he wants uh, the class to respond, uh, he will take one of the popsicle sticks and call out the number. And if your number is called, then you have, to, uh, you have to speak. You get to respond. That sounds terrifying, Haley. <laughs> terrifying. It made me think of uh, a trick that a dear friend of mine taught me when I was just a young grasshopper of a divinity school student. Um, she told me that... that uh, she told me what she would say if she ever got called on to, uh, to, to speak or felt compelled to speak but hadn't done the reading uh, that night. She, uh, in those instances, my friend would take on a pensive look. Her brows would furrow. She'd put her hand uh, to her chin, and she'd say something like this. I just, I just wonder where the Holy Spirit is in all of this. And it worked like a charm. She said, because the professor would nod and all the students would go, mm, yeah, that's good. That's good. And, and the class would just go in a complete opposite direction at that point. Mission accomplished. And it's genius, isn't it? I love the, the shrewdness of it, the ingenuity. Uh, so, Haley, Leah, let me know how it works for you in class. Um, just another life hack, courtesy of the local church. But, but Haley's right. I remember it well. There was so much reading. And there were days that I couldn't get it all done, just tried to get by, having done the bare minimum. You know the trick, read the first paragraph and the last paragraph, right? Um, and, and some days all you can do is simply skim the surface, get the general idea of a piece, and keep going. And I think by and large, the professors know this too, even if they wouldn't come out and say this. At the end of the day, i got to believe that their hope is simply that something catches curiosity and then invites the student to press deeper, to press deeper, press in just a little bit more. That begins to take root, which, as it happens, is our theme for the day. But before we keep going, I want to again welcome you here. My name is Brent. The great joy of serving is the pastor for the local church. Your presence is a gift to us just as you are. We say this every week. We mean this every week that, uh, that, that we hope for three things when you interact with us in any way, that, that you feel affirmed, anchored, and empowered, affirmed, in your humanity as the beloved child of God that you are anchored in the good news that we share together each week and empowered to take that good news and then to love where you are. Uh, so an- affirmed, anchored, empowered. We believe that this time each and every week uh, that we spend here has the power to change us and change our whole world if we'll let it. Wherever you are in your spiritual journey or on no journey at all, you have a place here at the local church. We give God thanks for you. We know that there are many places that you could be on a Sunday morning and uh, we don't take it for granted. Uh, as Leah said, if you have uh, a card, we'd love for you to fill that out so that we can come to know you more fully. There's also a spot on the back for your prayer requests. There's a team that gathers each and every week uh, to pray uh, for, what is, uh, for what's lifted up, to come alongside you in your prayers as well. You can, uh, you can drop these in the communion baskets a little bit later um, as you come forward. Again, we thank God. We celebrate that you're here. We don't take your presence for granted. Last week, uh, we launched a brand new series that we're calling Grow Local, uh, but more than a series, Grow Local uh, is, uh, is, is an intention for us. It sets an intention for us, both as individuals and as a faith community. We want to be a people who grow local, and throughout this series, uh, we're going to explore what that means. In short, we're inviting good, deep, holy, introspective questions about what sorts of seeds have been planted within us, about the roots that we're putting down, about the fruit that we're bearing. It's a way of asking, how are we growing in depth as followers of Jesus so that we might then grow in breadth 
as followers of Jesus as well, toward greater love of God and neighbor, toward a world of peace and justice and equity and belonging for all of God's creation. What sort of growth is God giving us, and what growth do we need to tend to? As we ask and respond to these questions, we'll ultimately chart a course for what it means to be a follower of Jesus in our context, in this place, and in this season, in your neighborhoods, in your lives, in your daily eating, sleeping routines. Put another way, as I mentioned last week, we're technically no longer considered a church plant in the eyes of the United Methodist denomination. Uh, We've essentially graduated, which is no small thing. It's worth celebrating, Um, but we're still pretty young. We're basically the equivalent of uh, uh, a bunch of preschoolers, right? Um, But bottom line, uh, we're no longer a church plant. We're a church planted. And so that raises some questions for us, and that's what Grow Local is an invitation to ask. What's next? What happens next? Because here's the thing. My thumb isn't the greenest. My thumb isn't the greenest, but I know enough to know that, that you can't just plant something and then leave it alone and hope for the best, right? You have to care for it. You have to tend to it. You have to water it. Make sure it gets enough sunlight, all the things. And the same is true for us, both as individuals and as a faith community. So at its core, Grow Local is a series about how we tend to what's been planted so that, we, so that God can give us good growth and depth and breadth for the healing, the mending, the restoration of our hearts, our communities, and God's good world. You good with that? good with that? Last week, we talked about how uh, uh, in our relentless searching, Jesus actually makes the first move, coming to us, finding us. We wondered together about what it would mean to create space, to cultivate, make room, to cultivate an awareness of how we've been found, about what seeds of goodness in life have already been planted within us. And this week is about putting down those roots, which may not be the first thing you think of when you hear the passage that Gail read for us this morning, head-scratcher of a passage. It's a fun one, isn't it? Throughout this series, we're using the lectionary, the calendar of scriptures used by churches around the globe on a given Sunday, so I feel the need to offer this disclaimer that I didn't pick this text. It picked us, but I think it fits, so let's get into it. The story uh, is often called the parable of the dishonest manager. Parables, as you may know, are essentially stories told by Jesus that are meant to be instructive. They're intended to invite the listeners into a conversation using images and experiences that would be familiar to them in their context. And so so here, Jesus is speaking to his disciples, and it comes right on the heels of the parable of the prodigal son and his brother. And uh, to come to a better understanding of this parable, you have to understand that there are three different roles at play in this story. The master, the manager, and the merchants. The master, the manager, and the merchants. The rich man is the master, owns the land. It's his business. And there are the merchants. Those are the ones who, uh, who owe something to the rich man. In this case, it's oil or wheat. But there are others still. And then there's the manager. Manager's the middleman, the go-between, the intermediary. He's the one tasked with making sure that the business deals are running smoothly. It's a common practice at the time. This is good to know, too. A common practice um, for uh, the middleman, the manager, to just take a little bit off the top for his own gain. It's just what you did. It's how he'd make a living. And so Jesus says there's a rich man who had a manager who catches wind that uh, the manager may be squandering his property. Now, we're not quite sure exactly what's going on. The text doesn't tell us exactly what's going on. There's a theory that perhaps some of the other managers are making accusations against this manager as a way of getting him, getting him out of the way sort of undermining him so that there's more for him or more for them uh, at the end of the day. Um, so the rich man summons the manager and says, hey, there's a rumor going around 
that you're doing me dirty, so I need to see the books. I want to see uh, uh, an accounting of your management because you cannot be my manager any longer. What's happening here is basically he's getting fired. He's losing his job. And this sends the manager into a spiral. He flips out a little bit. He says, what am I going to do without this job? Can't do manual labor. I'm too prideful to beg. So what's my next move? And, and finally, figures it out. Shot in the dark. You know that, that feeling when you got nothing else to lose? Right? That's what's happening here. So he calls the master's debtors, the merchants, one by one. He calls them. And he says, how much do you owe? 100, 100 jugs of olive oil? What if we made it 50? You feel good about that? And then to another, he says, how much do you owe? 100 containers of wheat? How about 80? Let's make it 80. You feel good about that? Jesus says the manager commends, or the master commends the manager because he, he had acted shrewdly. In other words, he'd been prudent. Jesus goes on to say that, quote, the children of this age are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than are the children of light. More on that in a bit. And then he continues, make friends for yourself by means of dishonest wealth so that when it's gone, they may welcome you into the eternal homes. And finally, he wraps up this parable with a truth bomb that you may have heard before. No slave can serve two masters. For a slave will either hate one and love the other or be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. It's a lot. Like I said, it's puzzling. It's a head-scratcher, right? What is going on here? What does it mean to make friends for yourself by means of dishonest wealth? How come, how come the dishonest manager is getting props here from Jesus. Is Jesus telling the disciples to be like the dishonest manager, to become children of this age rather than children of light? Is Jesus shilling for capitalism here? What's going on? What's going on? Not exactly. Let me explain. For Jesus, the emphasis here is on the shrewdness of the manager. It's on the shrewdness of the manager. It's on his tenacity. It's what he's trying to get across to the disciples, his practicality, his ingenuity. That's what he wants to lift up. The word that's translated shrewd in Greek is this one, phronimos. Phronimos, uh, which can also be translated wise. Earlier in Luke's gospel, uh, Jesus uses the same word, phronimos, to lift up a faithful and prudent manager. The word prudent there is phronimos. It's also wise or shrewd uh, in this story. And how exactly is the manager shrewd here? Well, he needs his job and he wants to prove that he's trustworthy and loyal. And so he calls the merchants together, <clears throat> excuse me, one by one, cuts them a deal. Notice that by getting them one-on-one, -on -one, right, they don't have the chance to talk to each other ahead of time. And so he's essentially isolating them, making them think that they're getting the deal of the lifetime, not knowing that the other one is also getting the deal of a lifetime. And not only does he ingratiate himself with them in this way, but it benefits their business dealings with the master, Keeps the master happy because the business continues to run smoothly. Everybody gets, he still gets his profits, win, win, win. And the only thing that's lost here in the near term is the manager's cut, likely, which he could then earn back later because he's taken steps not only to nurture his relationship with the merchants um, that could lead to benefits down the road of their own, but also potentially to keep his job, smooth things over. So bottom line, what Jesus is getting at here is that there's something to be learned from the shrewdness, the savvy, the tenacity, the ingenuity of the manager. And now you might still be puzzled. I get it. Jesus defies our expectations here. The manager isn't necessarily a paragon of virtue, 
right? So what's going on? The pivotal line that I want you to see is verse 8. And his master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. For the children of this age are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than are the children of light. For the children of this age are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than are the children of light. Here's the thing. When Jesus lifts up the children of this age, he's telling his disciples that rather than disengaging from the world completely, separating themselves from it, they could learn a thing or two from the ways of the world. Putting those efforts to work for the sake of God's kingdom. How might we be just as savvy in building relationships, generosity and justice, and and being peacemakers? In other words, Jesus is saying, don't run from the world. Press deeper into it. Work to change it. Bring about God's kingdom from the inside out. When I was a student at Duke, I had someone tell me that uh, they feel like that they're one person at church and have to be a completely different person at work. But Jesus wants just the opposite here. Here, Jesus is saying that a life of faith is about integration, about being the same person in both places, being shrewd, tenacious for the dream of God in the world, no matter where you are. How do you leverage relationships and friendships to move the needle when it comes to justice and equity? How do you use your wealth or your influence for good to help build a better world and ensure abundance? How might the skills that you've cultivated over a lifetime bring healing for a world, a planet where all is not as it should be? These are the questions we're we're intended to think about here. Okay, so but then... Jesus brings it home. Lest we begin to think that Jesus is all out, full endorsing the system, every action of the manager in this parable, Jesus makes his position clear at the end by way of a word of caution, saying, oh, but bear this in mind. Bear this in mind, y'all. You cannot serve God and wealth. Because here's what Jesus knows to be true, that we're human. And while we are called, yes, to remain in this world, to prudently work within these systems for the good of God's dream, Jesus knows their seduction. He knows their hypnotic power. He knows the system's capacity to ensnare us. He knows the false narratives that are so seductive that masquerade as truth. About how our self-worth is directly tied, correlated to our net worth. And if not our wealth, then it's our number of TikTok followers or Instagram likes or where we went to school or what kind of car we drive, how many letters come after our name. Wealth, status, influence, accomplishments. That's why Jesus reminds his disciples that you cannot serve God in wealth, God in status, God in influence, God in accomplishments, because these things will wither and fade. But not before they bring corruption from the inside out. So if you really want to enact change, if you really want to bring transformation and shelter and abundance and make a difference in the world fraught with violence, loneliness and hunger and shame, if you really want to be a faithful disciple and be about that work of healing, mending, restoration, before you can go wide, you got to go deep. Before you can go wide, you got to go deep. In other words, you've got to put down roots. 
we've got to put down roots because it's these roots pressing us down deeper into the soil, rooting us in God's desire, God's heart, God's dream that will keep us grounded and allow us to faith, live faithfully in the world, not just skimming the surface, surface, easily ensnared or plucked up, suffocated, but pressing deeper into the soil. That's why gathering and community for worship matters. It's why our singing matters. It's why sharing a meal together matters. It's why confession matters. It's why prayer matters. Why reading scripture together matters. Why baptism matters, which we'll get to celebrate together next week as Ava Boyce is baptized. At its core, this is why we get to do what we do. To continue to put down roots deeper into the soil. But as we go about our days eating and sleeping and playing and working and learning and loving, working shrewdly to bring change from within, all of it, in all of it, so that we'll remain grounded, connected to our life source, rooted in the stuff that really matters and the soil that gives life. In so doing, in so doing, Jesus gets to form his life in us. Are you with me? friend shared a story with me this week that, that just beautifully illustrates this deeply rooted life and why it matters. He, he was telling me about how in the years before his father-in-law died, my friend would take his father-in-law to church every week. His father-in-law lived with Alzheimer's. And as years went by, so much withered, so much faded from his memory, so much was taken from him. And yet, weekend and week out when he could hardly remember anything else. His father-in-law still knew every word of every hymn that they sung. Still knew every collective prayer that they prayed. Because he was rooted. Because he was rooted. Here's the question. For you, for me, for us, what's... What's your next step? Where are you putting down roots right now? How are you being nudged to press deeper? I want to invite us. Uh, usually I pray at the beginning. I'm going to pray here at the end now. And as I pray, I want, you to, I want you to take a minute. Use the space. Make room to ask God, what's my next step? Just be a little more rooted. It doesn't have to be anything big, anything grand. But what's my small act? going to root me just a little bit more. And if nothing's clear this morning, that's okay too. Let me, Leah, Haley know we're, we're happy to come alongside you and discern with you. But would you make room for that question this morning? What's your next step? How are you being nudged to press deeper into the soil? Let's pray. God, in so many ways this morning, it feels like I am preaching to the choir preaching to people who, uh, who are here, who have made space, making room, and we thank God for that. But we know, God, when we look at the world around us, a world that is hurting, a world that is, that is full of pain and heartache, a world uh, that is full of bloodshed and violence wherever we look, a world of, of fractured relationships, a world um, in the midst of, of, of a climate crisis, with flooding taking up the majority of whole countries, God, we, we see 
that there is so much work to do. There is so much, God, that, that wants to distract us, that wants to uh, keep us out, that wants to ensnare us, that wants to pluck us up. So, God, we ask now that you would, that you would root us, that you would reveal to us the ways that you are inviting us to continue to put down roots. What's the next step for us, God? What's the next step? Maybe it's a, it's, a, it's a relationship to invest in. A friend we haven't talked to in a while that, that we need to reconnect with. Maybe it's, maybe it's uh, an opportunity to speak out when we see injustice. Maybe it's simply taking a walk around our community and noticing who's there, praying for people in our own neighborhoods, in our own communities. Maybe it's participating in a Bible study or or a local table, gathering with friends and neighbors. Reveal it to us, God. And if things are a little foggy today, help us to continue to orient our lives to make space for ways that we might continue to be deeply rooted in the soil that gives abundant life. We ask all of this in the name of of Jesus, the true vine, our gardener. Amen. Hey, it's Leah again. If you love what you hear, share this episode or send it to someone who could use a little good news this week. We'd also love for you to leave us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. For more information about the local church, visit thelocalchurchpbo.org. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at localchurchpbo. Until next time, love where you are.